Hello everyone, I'm Captain Logan and this is Superhero Rewind. Before I get into this review, I want to stress that I think Superman 2 was mostly successful because of scenes already shot by Richard Donner. You can tell watching Donner's cut just how much of the best scenes in the theatrical version were his. The movie was successful and by and large liked by critics, and of course, Lester was given a lot of the credit and given the opportunity to direct another Superman film, this time without any training wheels. I challenge you to watch this movie and then imagine what Superman 2 would have been like directed entirely by this guy. Superman 3 takes four completely unrelated ideas and throws them all together. It feels a little like throwing the few things you have in your kitchen into a pot, cooking it, and then eating it. This particular stir-fry of randomness consists of the following ingredients. Computers, Evil Superman, Smallville, and Richard Pryor. I have no idea what the filmmakers were thinking trying to make a movie out of these things, but I'll take a stab at the logic behind each. Number one, computers. That'll make the movie seem modern and timely. It'll take a real social issue, the ever-increasing automation of our daily lives, and comment on it. Number two, Evil Superman. It'll be fun to explore a side of Superman we've never seen before. He always does the right thing and has a moral compass to guide his decisions, so what would it be like if he lost that compass? Number three, Smallville. We know Clark Kent grew up in Smallville, but we only saw a glimpse of his stomping grounds during his teenage years in the first film. Wouldn't it be interesting to see him go back to the place where he was before there was such a thing as Superman? And number four, Richard Pryor. Well, he's very popular right now, and he'll sell tickets. But more than that, Richard Lester was hired on to Superman 2 to bring a more light-hearted feel to the series. And so naturally, this one could use a comic relief. But it could be interesting, too, to focus a film on a normal guy who makes mistakes and see what kind of impact Superman might have on him. I'm trying to illustrate the point that not all of these are necessarily bad ideas on paper, with the possible exception of Richard Pryor. I don't really think these ideas could all fit together to create a real tight narrative, but each comes with real opportunities the movie completely misses. One of Superman's greatest comic book enemies is an evil computer. It's called Brainiac, and Brainiac has been used before in stories that warn of the danger of over-automation. In Superman the Animated Series, Brainiac runs all of Krypton single-handedly, and he's programmed that way. When he becomes malevolent, it isn't very difficult for him as an artificially intelligent being to wreak havoc and destroy the planet out of some warped sense of loyalty to his own programming. He interprets his programming in a bizarre way and really believes that it is his duty to destroy Krypton. I'm not griping that the evil computer in this movie isn't Brainiac, but I think interesting and relevant social issues could have been raised both by the existence of the computer itself and by Richard Pryor's character, Gus, who is corrupted by being able to cheat a system run entirely by computers. But instead, the issue of a society run by computers is just there. It acts as a contrivance for a villain plot, and may I say, a really lame villain plot, especially in a Superman movie. An evil corporate tycoon... Man, I'm saying evil a lot, aren't I? Seriously, the characters in this movie are so stereotypical and one-dimensional, it's hard to come up with more than one word to describe them. An evil corporate tycoon named Webster learns that Gus is cheating the computer system to steal large sums of money from his company. Instead of firing Gus or sending him to the police, Webster hires him to use his talents to wreak havoc on his business enemies. First, he has Gus use a satellite to create horrific weather conditions in Colombia in order to ruin their plentiful coffee crops so that he can more easily get a monopoly on the coffee trade. 
Then he has Gus rig computers to ruin the oil industry so that he can steal oil and have a monopoly on that, too. And I kid you not, Webster actually utters the line, today the coffee, tomorrow the oil. After General Zod, this is the epic master plan Superman has to foil. That'd be like after besting the Joker and Two-Face in the Dark Knight, Batman's next great foe turns out to be Condiment King. I can't believe the tacked-on evil computer at the end. The thing gets built because it's the one thing Gus really wants. He refuses to continue helping Webster after the coffee scheme unless he builds Gus this ultimate computer. I have no idea what Gus wants this thing for because all he tells Webster is that it can do anything you want it to do. As if Gus just wants it built because he designed it, but he doesn't care what terrible things this evil corporate tycoon guy will do with it. It's established very early that all Gus really cares about is getting rich. Suddenly he finds out he's good with computers, and now all he wants is to build this thing. Why didn't you just refuse to help unless Webster gave you millions of dollars, which you know he has, and then build it yourself and get rich at the same time? The computer makes absolutely no sense either. It has the ability to size up its opponent and figure out whatever will kill him, then immediately do the job, no matter what that means. So it's able to create kryptonite out of thin air. There's no way it has the ingredients built into it to make kryptonite, even if it somehow can tell just by looking at Superman not only that kryptonite will kill him, but exactly what kryptonite is made of. And it's established earlier that kryptonite, of course, has an unknown ingredient that doesn't exist on Earth. So the filmmakers gave this computer a generic ability and basically told us as long as what it does fits into that really broad definition, it makes sense. What's worse is how Superman beats it. He brings acid. The computer can't be destroyed just by acid, so it decides the acid isn't a threat. But it doesn't count on Superman heating the acid with his heat vision, and once heated, this acid can eat through anything. So you're telling me that a machine that can look at Superman and create an otherworldly compound to defeat him doesn't understand the simple chemistry of an acid it can see. You're telling me acid is physically more complex than Superman. How do you screw up such a fun concept as Superman goes bad? Really, this is such a no-brainer. You've got a character who's more powerful than anyone on Earth, who would be really hard to trust if he hadn't proved time and again that he'll always do the right thing every time, no matter what. And all of a sudden, for seemingly no reason, he just goes nuts and decides he doesn't care about people anymore. He'd be the most dangerous person ever. Granted, for us to still care about him, this would have to be somewhat contrived. It's usually done with red kryptonite, something that takes away his inhibitions. Something like that can still be a character development, though, because it shows us something that really is inside of him. He keeps it in check, but it's there. I would have liked to know for sure what Superman was feeling when he was the evil version. Is there a part of him that resents humans because having to be their constant protector means he can't truly live a normal life? Is there a part of him that fantasizes about terrorizing those weaker than he is? Is there a part that feels superior to humanity? But instead, he's turned into an irresponsible jerk who gets off on huge acts of vandalism. This is the best scheme Superman can come up with when he's evil straightening the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Wow, I had no idea Superman had no imagination. And there aren't clear rules about how he gets like this and how he turns back to normal either. Gus is ordered by Webster to kill Superman, so he tries to make his own homemade kryptonite. Oh, and by the way, I love how Webster knows about kryptonite. Remember that interview Superman did with Lois way back toward the beginning of the first film, where she wrote in print what his weakness was? And guess what? It comes back to bite him a second time, and Webster even says that he read about it in the paper once. 
But surprise, surprise, Gus's fake kryptonite doesn't work. It's missing that ingredient that can't be found on Earth, but apparently can be created by an evil supercomputer made by the same guy. Whatever. But it does turn Superman into an uncaring bum. It takes a couple scenes, but after a while, he's got a five o'clock shadow, he's terrorizing people, and he's having sex with the villain's right-hand henchwoman. But this is Superman, so we, the audience, are still rooting for him. We're crushed that he would do all these terrible, and not especially interesting, but terrible things. We know he'll come up with some clever way to beat whatever has just happened to him. What he does instead is fight himself in a junkyard. Superman versus Clark Kent. How exactly does this work? There's no explanation. Clark Kent walks out of Superman. They fight for a while, and the fight is actually pretty cool for the most part. Then Clark, the good person, triumphs, and Superman is good again. I can't tell if somehow there really were two of them fighting each other, or if we were witnessing an internal struggle that was played out for us physically but wasn't actually physically happening, or if the fake kryptonite just wore off and this was Superman's trippy hallucination while it was wearing off. Whatever happened, it's confusing, and that's unfortunate because it's the most entertaining scene in the movie. The whole Superman turning evil thing just turns out to be an excuse to put Superman out of commission so that the villain, who Superman could beat in about six seconds, can go on with his plan unfettered. It should have been an exploration of Superman's darker side, which he has to triumph over and remind himself, as he learned in Superman 2, that he has to appear perfect in order to show humanity its own potential, and that he has to be bigger than his own selfish desires. The selfish desires he overcame in Superman 2 were about his own personal happiness. Here they could have been about buried feelings of superiority. I think having Clark go back to Smallville is actually a decent idea, and once again, a huge missed opportunity. Annette O'Toole is a good casting choice for Alana Lang, but she's written as a naive, yeah, one-dimensional stereotype. I'm sorry, I can't really think of more adjectives. She's naive. She's lived in Smallville all her life and thinks she's going to get stuck marrying this jerk named Brad because he's the only thing in Smallville for her. Even though she's considered to be a drop-dead gorgeous by everyone, Brad is the closest thing in the whole town to a decent, marryable guy, even though he's a jerk. I'm trying to think of another... No, he's a jerk. That's all he is. This is a bad subplot for two reasons. The first is that Smallville is played up as being a really small town, but it's big enough for an airport that sends airplanes to Metropolis. That's even a little worse than the Smallville and the TV show Smallville having a train station. The second reason is that Clark tells her she should move to Metropolis in the first scene they have together. She wonders if she could really make it there, but in the end, we discover that there's really nothing keeping her from leaving Smallville once Clark comes back in her life, except for Superman conveniently being taken out of the picture for most of the movie. In the last scene, we find that Clark has gotten her a job as Perry White's secretary. So this subplot is built up of her being stuck in the same boring small town she's always lived in, but she had the means to get out of that life the entire movie from the moment we first met her, and the only reason that doesn't happen earlier is because of a contrived plot in which Superman becomes a drunk bum who uses his superpowers to vandalize things. This could have been a really interesting story. What's really interesting is how she's completely enamored with Clark, but not with Superman, which is entirely backwards from Lois. When she's set up as the secretary at the end, it seems very likely that she and Clark might pursue a romantic relationship. Lois has a double entendre where she says, it looks like I'm going to have some competition. 
She elaborates and says she means that Clark wrote a good story that might compete with the one she just wrote. It's obvious that she was really talking about Lana. Now, I'm not the biggest fan of love triangles, especially when they involve characters named Lana Lang, but imagine if this scene had been earlier in the film, and if Clark had feelings for a woman who was in love with Superman, and for another woman who was in love with Clark Kent. And imagine if he found it easier to tell Lana that he was really Superman because of the fact that she already wanted Clark Kent and not the other way around. This isn't really a Superman movie. It's a slapstick comedy, and not a very funny one, that happens to have Superman in it. As I've said before, Richard Pryor is the real protagonist, the real star of the movie, and he doesn't learn anything. It looks like he might, and then nothing happens. He's looking for a way to get rich quick. He's quit every job he's been offered because he thought they were beneath him. His attitude gets him mixed up in some bad business with Webster, and he realizes that his computer almost kills Superman, so he switches sides. He just wants to be rich, not to hurt anyone. So he should learn to play it straight, to take the good things that come his way, not to take advantage of people, even when it might benefit him at the same time. This really seems to be what the message is supposed to be, but Superman doesn't see any of this. He just flies Gus down to a construction site, asks if they have a computer, and then tells the workers they should give Gus a job. Then he flies away. And does Gus take the job that isn't then immediately offered to him? Nope. He says it isn't for him and walks 9 or 10 miles to the nearest bus stop. I can only assume he's learned nothing from this experience and will be back to taking advantage of people in no time. When a protagonist goes through a character arc and the events of the film have made no impact on him, I don't know why I'm supposed to care either, especially when the title character is Superman and it's not even about him. There are ideas here that might have butted if Superman were treated as the lead character. As it is, I have to give Superman 3 a 1 out of 4. Bye.